Your local McDonald's owners across Washington, D.C., Greater Baltimore, and Eastern Shore are committed community members who all celebrate the diversity of the neighborhoods that they serve. Black History Month is a special time to spotlight the many African-American and Black individuals and organizations that have contributed to our area's growth and development. McDonald's sees, supports, and celebrates you now and all year long. Hey guys, Greg here. Before I started Midlife Mail, I didn't realize how much we as men try to do it all ourselves. And while there's value in autonomy and being able to figure things out for ourselves, we can also save a ton of time. Years, in fact, and countless hours of emotional pain, stress, anxiety, and feeling like crap if we will just receive some help. So that's why I have decided to open the doors for a few one-on-one coaching spots. In this 90-day coaching, I'll personally help you through the six F's model and bring the focus back to what matters most. Family, fitness, finance, food, fashion, and fun. This is for you. If you are tired all the time, you are anxious, stressed, feeling weighed down physically, emotionally, and financially. You're not eating well, sleeping well, or performing well. You're not feeling, looking, and acting your best. Or perhaps you're doing all of these things, but you're redlining it all the time. Everything appears great on the outside, but on the inside, you know the engine's going to blow soon. I know this from firsthand experience. I've had my fair share of challenges as well. I have failed and I've succeeded. I have been the guy who complained. I've been the guy who had all the answers. I have tried being an entrepreneur. I've spent years working for a big company. I have been fat and I have been fit. I have had great hair and I am now completely bald. I have had no money and I have had millions. And when I sit back and think about it, there are so many times I wish I had someone to help me shed a light on what matters most and how to get more of that. Most of all, to help me see what I couldn't see, to share insight and experience on what they've already done and to help me with what I want to do, to offer the reassurance that I'm on the right path and if need be, how to pivot. Because look, if we are not careful, we end up spending too much time away from our family, friends, experiences, hobbies, and fun in hopes of putting in the time so that when we retire, we'll be able to sit back. Or when we're quote unquote there, we're not actually present. We take our health and our spouse for granted and we operate as if it's all okay. And this sounds like a lot of potential regret to me. It's not what you set out for. It's not what you deserve. So here's the wake up call. It's the opportunity to make this next phase of your life your best phase. It's never too late. So if you're hearing this and it speaks to you and you want to learn more about working with me, send me an email, greg at midlifemail.com. Hey guys, Greg Scheinman with you, Midlife Mail Podcast Time. Thank you once again for joining me on the pot. It just gets better and better. Each week, 
new men come on the podcast. They share their stories, their successes, their failures, their advice, their insight. And it keeps the midwife male movement growing. This week, Rob Wolf joins me. Revolutionary Solutions to Modern Life. Rob is a former research biochemist, and he is the two-time New York Times, Wall Street Journal, best-selling author of The Paleo Solution and Wired to Eat. Rob has literally transformed the lives of hundreds of thousands of people around the world via his top-ranked iTunes podcast, his books, and his seminars. He has functioned as a review editor for the Journal of Nutrition and Metabolism and as a consultant for the Naval Special Warfare Resiliency Program. He serves on the board of directors and advisors for Specialty Health, Inc., the Chickasaw Nation's Unconquered Life Initiative, and a number of innovative startups with a focus on health and sustainability. One of those is Element, L-M-N-T, and in full disclosure, I am a small investor in Element. Great stuff. Rob holds a purple belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. He is a former California State powerlifting champion. Outrageous numbers. 6-0 and as an amateur kickboxer. And he has provided seminars in nutrition and strength and conditioning to a number of entities, including NASA, NASA, Naval Special Warfare, the Canadian Light Infantry, and the United States Marine Corps. He is married to his wife, Nikki. He has daughters, Zoe and Sagan. We talk about their moves across the country. His new podcast, Element, Jiu-Jitsu, Homeschooling, really great time and great conversation to chat with Rob Wolf. So let's get after it, guys. Midwife Mail Podcast. Here we go. All right, guys. Greg Scheinman here. You have heard the intro. You know how excited I am to have my guest on the Midwife Mail Podcast today, Rob Wolf. Good to see you. Thanks for having me. Rob, thank you. This is a, a privilege and a pleasure. I have been a fan and an admirer of yours for for years. So thank you for coming on, and I really look forward to to everything you have to offer. Thank you. Thank you very much. First and foremost, where are you today? Where Where do you live? Where are you spending your time? We moved recently, about four months ago, to Kalispell, Montana. So we we were in Reno, Nevada. Uh, spent two years in the New Braunfels, uh, Texas area, which is halfway between Austin and San Antonio. And we liked it, but didn't love it. it, it and uh, my kids wanted to kill me when they discovered that it only snows there about once every 30 years. And so uh, <laughs> we we moved to Montana and, and really like it. I, I think uh, we are more mountain folk than uh, uh, you know central Texas folk, but it, it's beautiful down there. Like if somebody's thinking about somewhere to go, and they want some proximity to Austin, but don't want to be in the full-on insanity of Austin, like New Braunfels and, and some of those areas are amazing. Completely agree. I'm based in Houston, so I make that drive okay. all the okay. time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Houston, so you know New Braunfels, game. Austin, constantly. Let me ask you, as as a husband, as a, as a father, parent, you know, you've got how do you go about making that decision? What's your process to relocate and move? Oh man. Um, I had been intrigued about that hill country of Texas for a long time. I did a hunting trip that was part of a, a fundraiser for fallen military personnel, their their families. There was a hunting trip outside of San Antonio. And um, 
I just really liked it. Like that, that interface between the brush country and the hill country. Like I, I really thought it was cool. The mix of like cactus and mesquite and, and just all that stuff down there. And it was there in October, so it wasn't that hot. So it, it maybe gave me a little bit of a hip fake in, in that regard, but we had been really interested in that. And, uh, uh, we liked Reno and thought that Reno was going to be kind of our, our long-term permanent spot, but Reno grew shockingly over the last couple of years. And we left even, you know, about a year before COVID hit. And when COVID hit, like the, the influx into Reno was just jaw dropping and it had kind of outstripped like the carrying capacity and, and uh, you know, the traffic was getting bad and everything. And so we called it our Texas adventure. We were like, we'll, we'll give it two years and see if we, we want to, you know, make this thing a permanent gig. And also a good friend of mine, Michael Hines, he had been living in, uh, South Korea. He was a professor at university, but he wanted to get out of that and actually open a Brazilian jiu-jitsu school. And he's from Dubuque, Iowa. And I floated by him that possibly the hill country of Texas was nicer than Dubuque, Iowa. And maybe that would be a better place to, <laughs> to open up shop. And so, uh, you know, we helped him kind of get that, uh, his jujitsu gym up and running. So, I mean, it was a, a, a several different things. And, and also at that time, I was still traveling a lot. And so living in a central time zone between two great airports where I could get East coast or West coast, get out and back in one day, that would struck me as being mm -hmm. like really, really cool, you know? And then I only had about nine months of that before COVID shut everything down. And if you, now that I've been off of like the travel gig for coming up on two years, I'm like, I don't know if I want to travel anymore for anything ever again. So, so the, the compelling <laughs> reasons for going there changed and then the the compelling reasons for finding somewhere like like Montana, lower population density, slower pace of life, um, the jujitsu organization we are a part of. All of my family does jujitsu. Uh, there are three schools here in the Flathead Valley area, so we had multiple reasons to move here. And it absolutely snows here more than once every thirty years. So the the when we arrived here, um, there was still snow on the ground, and my kids were like good job, dad. You know, we don't hate you anymore. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Is that a, is that a round table discussion? I mean, I get the rationale as adults, you know, and everything that you yep. talked about. Uh, my boys are 17 and, and 14 right now, almost 18 and, and, and 15, right on, right on the cusp. Uh, and our thought of, you know, what do we do when, when they're both out of high school, you know, mm -hmm. they're both in college and we've got a couple of years left, you know, do we stay, do we move, do we sit down at the right. table and, you know, how do we discuss this? How much input, you know, do they, right. do they have, how do you approach that from a parenting standpoint? You know, when we left Reno, the, the, so the girls are seven and nine now, and they were basically about three years younger when, when we decided to move to Texas and we included them in that, but it was more of selling them the dream. It's like, Oh, Texas has these water parks and elephant, you know, uh, uh, you know, habitats and all this stuff. And so we kind of sold them the dream on that one. And it, it pretty quickly, it was pretty obvious that, that the kids didn't like uh, the heat really got to them. Like the, uh, my oldest daughter just runs everywhere. Like she just runs here, she runs there, but the heat crushes her. Like it, it really legitimately crushes her. Whereas those kids, I think if you stuck them in a, a swimming pool that was frozen, 
I think they could melt it with the heat of their bodies. Like they don't get cold, you know? And, and, uh, so they're a little more kind of Nordic, I guess, in that regard. Like they, mm-hmm. they just well suited to that, but it, pretty quickly they were like, I'm not really digging this, you know? And so we started talking about the potential of moving. And, uh, also this brought us much closer to family. And when we made the decision to move, we were right in the thick of COVID and we had not seen family in over a year. Um, we were a 30 hour drive away from family. Um, this brings mm. us like a seven hour drive away from family. So we started talking about it, but when, when, once they reached like that six and nine age, seven and nine age, um, we brought them in a lot more on like, here are the pluses and minuses of doing what we're doing. Like you've got, you know, you, we, we still keep in contact with some of their friends in Reno, but clearly that part of their life, had, you know, that chapter had kind of ended. And so they had made some friends in Texas. Are you willing to be closer to family and make new friends in this new place, even though we're going to give up these friends? And so we started talking to them about trade-offs and consequences of decisions and, and, you know, all that type of stuff, but they were really, um, so I would say the first move was really us selling the dream. The second move was much more of a roundtable collaborative thing. Like, what do you guys think? Where Where's your heart with all this stuff? You know, because if they had just been like, I love it here, we want to stay, and and Nikki and I weren't that stoked, then it's like, okay, we'll, we'll go hang out with family two or three times a year, and we'll just gut out the drive, or maybe I'll get on a plane and deal with the mask and all that that stuff, and we'll just make it happen. But they were game for for something new and they're young enough that, that, uh, reestablishing long-term social connections and all that stuff was still totally doable. But, uh, definitely the second round was way more round table, collaborative talking about pluses and minuses. Like just the drive here was a four day deal. We had the kids, two cats, a dog. Um, you know, I mean, it was, I, 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 I was dreading the move, you know, six months ahead. I was having kind of nightmares about it because we were, you know, 18 months only downrange from moving from Reno to, to Texas. So like I still had PTSD from the, mm-hmm. the first move out there. Yeah. 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 So what does a day look like now for the Wolf family in Montana, summer in Montana? Summer in Montana is, is pretty legit. It's very, it's quite variable. So like it's raining a little bit right now and it's, about 62 degrees and then tomorrow it's going to be 99 degrees. So like it it is a little schizophrenic. Um, we started homeschooling the year before COVID. So we've been homeschooling for about two, two and a half years now. So, um, that both simplifies and complexifies things in a lot of ways. You know, we can, we can let the kids sleep in as much as they, they want, which I, I think the sleep part is just this really valuable piece of their, growth and development. Um, so we don't have to be up super early to get them to like a, a seven or like an 8 AM, you know, class or something like that. So that's cool. The challenge is doing the work that my wife and I need to do on kind of a day-to-day basis while the kids are at least somewhat underfoot. But I usually get up around six, six fifteen, kind of wake up without an alarm, cup of coffee, some meditation. I usually get breakfast kind of started and, and, you know, just put it on low, get things kind of cooking. My wife wakes up a little bit after that. And then I try to get in and do my, my, um, what I, I consider to be my A level work, like my creative work for, first thing out of the gate. Uh, that's when I'm just firing on all cylinders. I get my best ideas. If I'm reading some research articles or just kind of digging into topics that I'm interested in, that's when I do that stuff. 
kids wake up anywhere from like 7 a.m. to 9 a.m., depending on the day. Like it's crazy. You can tell when they go through a growth spurt, like they'll, they'll add two hours to their, their <laughs> sleep in that regard. You know, um, we have breakfast, usually do work and homeschool up until about 11, 20. And then we load up and go to jujitsu and we do our, our, the, the big kids, you know, my, my wife and I jujitsu class, that takes about two hours. We come home, feed everybody, walk the dog. Uh, kids have jujitsu two days a week. And so on the days that they're doing jujitsu, it's kind of a quick turnover. We come home, eat, relax a little bit, and then take them back to, to school. Uh, I sometimes have lunch. Uh, if I'm going to delete a meal, it's usually lunch. And it kind of depends on how much of a beating I've taken at jujitsu. And if I get, like yesterday was an absolute flogging. And so I I did have lunch and then, uh, we spin up dinner. Um, we do some, uh, 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 stretching in the evening. We do some like kin stretch and FRC stuff, some mobility work. And we listen to a, uh, audible like kids book, but there's some really cool things that are almost kind of, uh, Tolkien esque. Like there's this whole genre of these kind of fantasy adventure books that are really good. Like I thoroughly enjoy them. Like I totally look forward <laughs> to listening to them and the kids love them. And so we're doing something together as a family, but we can all do a little bit of mobility work or maybe the kids are working on some arts and crafts, but also, you know, listening to the audio book. And then, um, I go to bed pretty early. Like I, I really turn into a pumpkin early. Like I start trying mm -hmm. to head to bed about nine o'clock and read for a half hour, uh, put on some blue blockers, have my, my Kindle with the light set low and it's like a ninja blow dart. Like I do that for about 35 <laughs> minutes, 20 minutes, and I'm out. I, I just turn it off and I like pass out and I'm drooling on myself and that's it. And then it's Groundhog's Day, rinse, lather, repeat, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That decision to homeschool your kids um, and the and the work and the consistency and the discipline that it takes both as parents, you know, and and the changing of of the norm, if you will, for the kids. I'm curious to know how you went about making that decision. And then also really what's, what's important to you about education? You know, what's really important to your wife and you about what you want your kids to learn, what you didn't necessarily think they needed to learn or were going to get, you know, from school, how you mm -hmm. integrate something like jujitsu for hours a day into their routine at the same time where again, schools have been reducing, I don't know, stereotype, but reducing physical fitness, right. you know, and activity and training just, that kind of cutting against the grain, you know, a little bit and having the, right. you know, the stance to say, this is how we're going to do it. You know, this is how we're going to educate, raise our children. This is what's important to us. Uh, I'm, I'm fascinated by that. Yeah. It, it, and, you know, had COVID not happened, I think the homeschooling thing would still be a much more weird proposition. And then COVID hit and a lot of people that were like, I would never homeschool my kids. They did it. And they're like, okay, I'm never sending my kids back to regular school. And, you know, they have their own list of mm -hmm. hows and whys with it. Uh, we had our kids initially in a Montessori program and it was good for the, um, the preschool portion. But when they got into the elementary portion, uh, this gets a little sociopolitical, but I, I think some of the lack of follow through that is endemic in regular schools kind of infiltrated in there. And so the kids are able to self-direct very much in Montessori, but they allowed them to self-direct too much. Like my, my oldest, daughter effectively did no math for one year. 
Like she, mm. nothing happened with it. And it's interesting. I can empathize. Both of my boys went to Montessori school for a while. Okay. We started the same thing from, yeah. from when they were very young. My younger one got out around the third, third grade time. He needed more. more. My older yeah. one didn't leave Montessori until going into seventh grade, middle school. Uh, okay. Very different, but okay. I can empathize with, with a lot of what you're, what you're saying. Yeah. And you know, it was interesting. My, my wife speaks Italian. She is Italian. She was born here, but she speaks Italian quite well. And we made friends with some folks who are from Italy. They're from Rome. And like the, this woman was raised in Montessori. Her mother was a Montessori teacher. And she was just like, this isn't the way it's done. Like they, they're not using the methodology. You got to hold kids feet to the fire. This thing should be a, a kindergarten through college prep program. And it's not anything like that, you know? So that was kind of our first, like, oh man, this kind of sucks. Cause we liked the school, we liked the community, but it definitely wasn't doing what, what needed to be done for our kids. And then we poked around at the public schools there. And, you know, actually this was part of the calculus of moving to Texas. When we looked at the public schools around Reno, the, the general, you know, feedback that we got was that they were pretty poor in quality. And so we, we looked at some of the, the, if there's one laudable characteristic of Texas, the way that they've put together their, their like tax subsidization of their school programs, they seem to be pretty damn good, especially as compared to like a, a national level. And there's variations there, but Texas seems to do public schooling pretty damn well. So we thought about doing the public school thing, but we thought, you know, we can kind of work from anywhere. We could spend a month in in Thailand or Costa Rica or something if we wanted to. And what a wonderful experience that would be for the kids, you know, as, as part of a, a growing up thing. And so we had a fair amount of trepidation going into the homeschooling deal, but we figured we'd give it a shot. Worst case scenario, it wasn't going to be worse than what the Montessori experience was for sure, you know. <laughs> And uh, we grabbed some curriculum, like I use a program called Math UC, which has some online component and then it has some some books and and drilling, and it's really phenomenal. I think like they they feel that you should introduce the material, the kid should do the material, and then um, the kid doesn't move on to new material until the the child can teach it to you as it, it you know it demonstrating mastery. So it's like, hey Zoe, show me how to do. Uh, rounding or, you know, uh, subtraction mm -hmm. of multi-digit numbers or whatever. And she can teach me the methodology. And then we know that they've got it. And then we move on. And so the really cool thing there is that we just teach to mastery. Like they, we don't, we're not in a, a rush. We're not in a race. Um, if they miss something, we just go back and redo it. Uh, we put a really disproportionate emphasis on the the math curriculum. My, my wife covers, um, the reading, writing, and spelling, and she uses spell to write to read as as the program there. But we really, uh, you know, the reading, writing, arithmetic is really the the central deal, and a disproportionate emphasis on the math because I'm of the opinion that if, if people will figure out the reading and writing and stuff like that, both kids love reading; the, they'll get that stuff. But I've just noticed that in folks motoring through their life, if if somebody has a really solid math background, they can do anything. They can literally go in if they want to do computer science, if they want to do this, if they want to do that, if they want to run a business, like popping open a spreadsheet and like putting in, you know, data and doing data analysis is not intimidating to folks if they have a solid math background. And um, my wife and I, although we went through college and everything, we have a fair amount of academic background. 
if our kids don't want to go to college, we're not going to like, we are not like the, the, the tiger parents are like, you will do a four year degree at a minimum or anything like that. Like if they want to be a doctor, if they want to be an engineer or a scientist, um, the oldest daughter is really interested in like conservation and, and, and animal husbandry and stuff like that. Maybe she yeah. ends up doing like a forestry degree or something, but if they don't want to do that, we're going to, the money that we could allocate to, um, you know, a college degree could go into starting a business, could go into um, underwriting like an internship with something that they want to do, you know. So we're, we're, you know, there's a bunch of values that that it, and critical thinking that we feel like is really missing from the mainstream experience. There seems to be a, a very stilted kind of social political kind of process that's occurring there. And, and so we, we like to have a little bit of control over the messaging around that, but I know I'm kind of bouncing around a lot, but I mean, there's several different factors that go into it, but we feel like the interesting thing about homeschooling is that it doesn't take that long to do the school. The challenge is what do you do with the kids, the other like six hours that they would otherwise be at school? It's really not that, that involved to jam through some great math, to do some reading, writing, spelling, have them do some, some, you know, uh, uh, silent reading. We also have them read out loud. This is a skill that my wife is really trying to develop in our kids so that they can, they can read material and, and, you know, speak it out loud at the same time. doesn't take that long to do that. And then it's like, okay, what do you do in the other times? And then how do we get our work done amidst all that? And we do some jujitsu horseback riding and some other stuff to kind of round out the, the rest of that. Yeah, I really no. I appreciate you you touching on so many different areas there because my mind starts going again with my two with my two boys again. One heading into high school, you know, right now. Another mm-hmm. one about to be going to college. You know, we got one more year left, um, and that conversation about what are you passionate about? What are you interested in? Where do you want to go? Do you want to go? You know, just being open minded to all the different possibilities that are out there, um, you know, and now you've kind of opened my eyes and, and, and ears and mind to, that's actually a very interesting option, okay, right. about how to allocate capital, you know, and how you look, is, if capital and financing and, and money is important to you, do you stay in state? Do you go out of state? Do you have right. an internship or something you want to gravitate towards? Take a year off, think about these things, how you how you budget back to math skills, you know, and certain things right. like that too. There are a lot of ways to look at this. So bringing in different viewpoints, different perspectives from different parents, different men that are looking, it's like, okay, like, that's interesting. And you're right. You know, yes, COVID opened up a lot of, opened up a lot of opportunity as many things as it, as it hindered, it mm-hmm. opens up a lot of opportunity and things that maybe we couldn't have lobbied for, or maybe could right. not have really pushed that boulder all the way uphill and down the other side because the company didn't want it, you know, or the or the college or school or whatever didn't want it and wasn't open to it. Well, we've now seen kind of what we can do when you strip right. everything away, you know, and what right. the possibilities are. Um, and I love the, the notion of the, what we do with the other hours, you know, because it's right. kind of like busy versus productive, you know, there, or like actors always say, they don't pay me for the acting; they pay me for the waiting. Right, you know, like, right. It's the setup all day. Like we sit around setting up, doing everything. My scene's like five minutes long. I've been there eighteen hours. You know? Right, <laughs> right. In, in there. Why jujitsu? Jujitsu's gotten very, very popular 
you know, grappling, jujitsu, and then um, has gotten very popular. You've been a practitioner for a long time now, but what drew you to jujitsu? Why do you think it's so important, you know, um, and as a family activity also? Yeah, you know, just me individually, like I've never, I didn't go into jujitsu like I'm going to be a tough guy and beat people up. Like it, it was, uh, I really love snowboarding. Um, I like movement and I like getting into situations where there's kind of a flow state. And jujitsu is awesome for that, you know, and it's, it's like learning a language. It's a language that involves movement. So there's a, and there's a self-defense component too. It's a, it's a good workout and everything. Um, my wife was completely uninterested in it for a long time. And then maybe four years ago, my, my coach, John Frankel, who's a, a Harvard PhD in Korean literature has a tenure track professorship at, at Seoul university teaching Korean literature. Um, he and I were chatting what on one of his visits here and Nikki was like, wow, that just sounds really interesting. Like there's something really intriguing about it. And she started getting into it and, uh, she got her blue belt last year. And so she, you know, motoring along. And I think all kids are just kind of, well, there's very variation on this. Both my kids are really physical. Like they, they, they just instinctively like grab each other and start, you know, trying to wrestle with each other. And it, it, the program through straight blast gym, which is the organization that we are a part of, they have phenomenal curriculum for kids, for adults, uh, the, the school here. So in the Flathead Valley, which is only about 70, 80,000 people total for the whole huge Flathead Valley, this main school has almost 500 members. Um, there are two other schools within a 30 minute drive that have 250 and 300 members in, in, in respectively, which are huge for jujitsu gyms. And most people would be like, oh my God, I can't believe that. How do they do that? And the way, how the, would they do that? They have great business systems and they have great training systems. They don't just throw a newbie into a, a group of people of 19 year old, like division one wrestlers who do jujitsu also, and they get beat to death, you know? And so it's a graded process and you, you know, you, you slowly get exposed to volume and intensity and they set up a, uh, uh, ethos of not murdering people so that they come back the next day and you have a training partner and then they've got, a competition team where the knuckle dragging meat eaters go in there and they, you know, they, they really get after it. But, um, there's a lot of reasons there. It, 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 the physical part is great because we homeschool and we live in a rural area. The kids don't see a ton of other kids just like on a day-to-day -day basis. So they get a lot of the socialization, but they get the socialization in a pretty controlled way. One thing we noticed at the Montessori school the kids came home with a lot of bad habits, like the bad habits of other kids and other families started making their way into mm -hmm. my kids' lives. And I, I didn't really like it. And, and, uh, so we've got socialization, but in a kind of a controlled, you know, uh, bite there. And then I have two girls and I, I, I told them, doesn't matter if it's jujitsu or Thai boxing, but you're going to learn how to defend yourself and you're going to learn how to operate a, a, a gun. And these are some, non-negotiable features that if you, when you hit 16 or 18, you don't want to do this anymore. Great. But up till that point, like you were going to understand these things, they're not going to be scary features. So there's some practical elements there. And then I guess, finally, the interesting thing about wrestling and grappling arts 
is that you are going to lose again and again and again. Like it, it doesn't matter how good you are. You just get somebody a hundred pounds over you and you're, you're going to have a hell of a time. You, you, you know, you get somebody, I'm 49 years old now. And, and so you get a 29 year old dude. And even if he's relatively new, if he's strong and fit, like he's going to be a handful, you know? And so learning to fail and then get back in and do it again. And the, the, the honing of the ego that that produces is really amazing. And, uh, I used to do some work with Naval special warfare and the, the government spent a remarkable amount of money trying to figure out what is it that goes into making a successful seal. Cause they invest a lot of money trying to get these people through the pipeline and a lot of people flame out. So like, how can we select these people earlier to, to figure out who's going to succeed? And the, the number one characteristic of people that make it through buds is that they have either a high school or a collegiate wrestling background. Like that was the number one thing. The number two thing was having some sort of a significant swimming background, competitive swimming, water polo, something like that, because you have to be really adept in the water to be able to, to pass their qualifications. And those were like the most important things. And when you, you think about some life skills, like being good at swimming can and will save your life. And it also opens up all these opportunities to have a lot of fun, just, just safely swimming and then, um, learning to fail and fail and fail and fail and, and just come back and do it again and enjoy the process more than, you know, getting that, that like, you know, arbitrary, like gold star or, or a, or whatever, like I, those are the reasons why we do the jujitsu. Unfortunately, all of those kind of like pie in the sky, like parenting type things they are important, but also very fortunately, everybody legitimately loves jujitsu in the family. Now, like it's something we talk about and kind of, kind of, you know, geek out on and everything. And, uh, when the kids get done with the class, you know, Zoe will be like, Oh, I got this arm bar today and I've been struggling with it and I got it. And, and so, uh, you know, that also is really cool because we have kind of a, a common point of focus with all that. And again, you know, if it, if at some point the girls are like, I'm good, you know, that'll, that'll be okay. But I just want them to have six or eight years of really legit self-defense training where, you know, you know, that will be at the brainstem level the rest of their lives. They'll be able to use that stuff in a situation if they needed it. Mm -hmm. I think it's great. Um, you know, I've done mostly stand up, mm -hmm. self so more boxing, kickboxing, right. um, as, as my protocol recently, I took, um, Tim Kennedy, sheepdog response. Oh yeah. A weekend. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, and I've started to get more introduced, uh, get introduced to grappling, combatives, hand to hand, really, really enjoy. It's like a puzzle that you are never going to finish. You know, there. Right. Um, and the right. respect and the skill set, the the flexibility, mobility, the, the all of it. Um, you know, the discipline for your part that you have, and the control that you have over another human being, or that another human being has over you. Um, ama amazing and. You know, now because of that, and you learn these takeaways of, okay, this is something that we should be involved in. Uh, this right. is something that would be great for the boys. This is great for, for confidence, but it's also great from a humbling standpoint right. as well. Um, really, really great stuff. So I'm glad you touched on, on both of those things. Certainly being down here in Texas too, understanding of firearms, respect for firearms, mm -hmm. self-defense, but also just the, the mind-body connection of all of this, the educational yep. aspects of it and the discipline and consistency that goes into all those things. I think parents and, and, and young adults or children to sharing that together 
creates like some really, really great bonding, you know, and, and a respect for one another's ability also. And the notion of parents doing things with their kids, I think has been kind of largely ignored and overlooked Mm -hmm. now for, for a while. A lot of parents are saying, you know, do this or hit the ball or go to this. Like you couldn't do it. <laughs> like right. you stop doing it. You, know, you mentioned you're 49. I'm 48. It's like, you stopped doing it 20 something years ago, buddy. You right. know, like why? Like, right. Here's yeah. something you actually can do to, to stay vibrant, to stay young, to stay healthy. You know, awesome. Yeah. yeah. So hey, you've been reaching for your, for your Yeti also. I think we're drinking out of the same element Yetis right now. Pretty similar. Yeah. 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 Yes. So I wanted to, I'm, I'm super, super excited uh, about Element. I was introduced to Element um, by Jeff Mraz, good friend of, of I think mm. both of us you know, there. And I started using Element, again, especially down here, super, super hot, constantly. Right. I sweat like, like a crazy person, even when it's not super, super hot. Uh, but I got introduced to Element. I was like, this stuff is fantastic. You know, the flavors are great. The hydration element is great. The the saltiness of it, even it was like, wow, like this is really, really, really great stuff. What was your impetus for getting Element going? I, it was um, so like a long arc of this stuff. I twenty three years ago had a really significant health crisis. I had ulcerative colitis so bad that they wanted to do bowel resection on me and put me on immunosuppressant drugs. And the, the long story, short, long story on that is that I, I figured out a way to manage that, which is kind of a low carb keto paleo type of mm-hmm. uh, way of eating, which did magic for my, my gut. Like it's not a hundred percent resolved, but it, it got me out of surgery and like, you know, I, I, uh, I'm incredibly grateful for that. But doing some things like CrossFit and jujitsu, which are glycolytic sports on a low carb diet is rough. And I just never really had this low gear. I was always fatigued. Like I, it felt like it was really easy for me to overtrain. And I I just, I was kind of like, okay, well, this is just the world I live in. Like if I'm going to eat in a way that my gut feels good and I have good glycemic control, like I'm not on a blood sugar roller coaster, I'm just not going to have, you know, phenomenal performance doing this stuff. Fast forward almost, you know, 18 plus years, I started hanging out with these guys, Tyler Cartwright and Luis Villasenor. They're the founders of a group called Keto Gains. And they use a ketogenic diet to do mainly body composition oriented resets on people, these boot camps. And they have like 200,000 people in their Facebook group and they pump these people through these resets and the results they get are just shocking. And I started noticing that like they had some folks that were competing in Brazilian jiu-jitsu and doing this, this way of eating. I'm like, what the heck are they doing? So I had Tyler and Luis look at what I was doing and they're like, all your protein, carbs, fat look good, but you're probably not getting enough electrolytes, specifically sodium. And I didn't listen to the guys in the beginning. I'm like, no, no, I salt my food. I'm good. You know, and, and, uh, probably about a year went by and they're like, no, you know, I kept struggling kept flailing around, kept having problems. They're like, no, really like weigh and measure everything you consume for a couple of days, including how you salt your food. And then let's see where you end up. And with these cool apps like chronometer, like they will tell you, you know, your protein, carbs, fat, but also sodium, potassium, magnesium, calcium, like it gives you a pretty good accounting. And I was less than half of what they recommended on the sodium. 
And so I fixed that. Like they just, they had this homebrew keto aid thing where I do some salt, some no salt, which is potassium chloride, some magnesium citrate, lemon juice, stevia, shake it up. And it was just magic. I, I, my performance at jujitsu just exploded my recovery. More importantly, my recovery improved where I would mm. do a class and not be like laid out, you know, feeling like I needed a nap afterwards. Like I'd be tired, but I, I'm like, I'm good to go. I can still play with the kids. I can do the rest of the day. So I, you know, even though I'm a biochemist by training, I understand the, the, the metabolism side of this thing, the sodium need was totally off my radar. And this is why we always need to find people smarter than us. And even when you feel like you're kind of an expert in a particular field, somebody knows something you don't, and you, you probably need to, to learn it. And so we took this keto aid formula and just offered it out to our community and it as a downloadable PDF. And within six months, seven months, we had like a half million downloads of this thing. And it was, you know, people were just like, oh my God, this is fixing everything. This has helped so much. Uh, and people started asking us, do you guys think that you would ever do like a, a mix, you know, a, some sort of convenient, you know, way to do this. And so it really came from like addressing my personal need, which, which Tyler and Luis had been aware of this need for ages. And is part of the reason why they were so successful with their clients. And then when I figured out how important it was, we did this freemium offering where we just offered this thing out for free. And then people literally said, Hey, we would love a product that addresses things like this. And it's, it's interesting in that there's so much misinformation around sodium that it was a problem hidden in plain sight. You know, like there's a zillion different electrolyte drinks out there and there's Gatorade and all this stuff. But uh, it, it, this is uh, interesting aside. We had a friend go to the Gatorade Museum at, at, in Florida, and there's a box of, of the original formula there, and it had a gram of sodium per serving in its original iteration. And now it's like the sodium has plummeted and the sugar has, has you know, increased mm. markedly. But when we first released this thing, it, it uh, one, it really helps people. People feel better immediately. So you get that really tight feedback loop. You feel like garbage. You're kind of, you know, fuzzy headed, lethargic, maybe you're even getting like toe cramps and stuff like that. You do a couple of belts of element and you're like, dude, I, I feel markedly better. And, um, physiologically, the only thing more tightly controlled than electrolyte levels is a uh, pH. And like, if you end up unconscious in the emergency room, the first thing that doctors look at is your pH and electrolytes, because those are the things, if they get off a little bit, you can die, you know? And so it just ended up really addressing this broad ranging need. It, it tastes pretty good. And we, it, it was a really lucky gig in that we looked at the science with a fresh set of eyes, but most of the people that could have jumped in and, and spun up like a competitive product. We, we had people do that, but in my opinion, they, they, they got the formulas totally wrong. And it's only now that we're at like year three, year, year four, we just closed the series a we're on this really remarkable uh, growth trajectory that we're seeing some people enter the market with what I would consider to be a legit solid formula. Like it's very, very similar to the one that we have. And people are finally getting, savvy to the notion that like sodium is this probably the most critical piece of the electrolyte puzzle and the potassium magnesium is really important but it it's second and third horse compared to that that sodium piece <laughs>
Hey guys, Greg here, Forever Forward. Let's move. I have teamed up with Roan and I'm super proud to be part of such a great company and supported by such tremendous individuals. Roan is clothing made for men and simply put, it works for me and my lifestyle. They produce clothing that brings together a seamless integration of fit, form, and function. Clothing made for everything from the gym to the office and clothing that inspires men to live healthy, strong, and free. That's what it's all about. You want to learn more, support, and pick up some great gear from Roan and all of our other Midlife Mail brand partners, go to midlifemail.com forward slash partners. In full disclosure, I, I participated in in the round. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's mm-hmm. how much I believe in the product and like the product. Uh, we all tried it in the family, used it for a while, you know. And I always look at these things as you know, be a consumer first. You know, not everything right. works for everyone. Be a consumer first. Try it, test it, spend your money on it. Would you continue to use this? How does it make you feel? All of those things, and starting with the science of you know, knowing your markers, knowing what your you may need more of or less of or what works for you. Um, and I was, and felt strongly and was thrilled to participate in, in the last round. So thank you for that. I think it's going to be tremendous. Um, and the team that you've got is, is off the charts, just fantastic in the, in the delivery. Yeah. Um, where, where I'm going also is you mentioned a couple of things that also stand out. And yes, you've got a background as a biochemist. You've been successful as an author. You know, you're an authority figure, you know, in this, in this landscape, you know, in the, uh, but you talked about freemium, you know, creating something, giving it away. You talked about other brands that maybe missed the mark, you know, early on, and now even brands that are getting most early entrepreneurs, if you will, play things super, super close to the, they don't want to share their ideas mm-hmm. or their formula or give anything away. Um, I'd love to hear just your take on, in a way, doing the opposite, you know, saying, okay, we gave this away for free. Then there was demand. Then we decided to package it up. I'll even acknowledge who's kind of getting close, you know, and getting right. It right you know, all of those, right. all those things mm-hmm, in there. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I guess if we look 10 years down range, it may be a genius move or it may be an idiot's move. Like we'll, we'll, we'll see how, how it all, you know, the, this, this race has not been finished yet, but, you know, initially our, our main thought, we were making money doing other things. You know, I sell books and I have an online community and Tyler and Luis have their online community and the boot camps and everything. And we knew that if we could, we, we saw so many people in this kind of low carb keto space and, and even just kind of beyond that, that we knew that a bunch of the problems that they were experiencing was inadequate sodium intake. Like if somebody just goes from eating a standard American diet, which is full of processed foods and full of sodium, and then they pull the processed foods out, their sodium intake plummets and their insulin plummets. And then they, and then in this downward spiral, you know? And so we knew that people really needed this. And we were kind of of the opinion that if we helped people anywhere, if we do them a, a good favor somewhere, that it will come back to us at some point, you know? And so starting an electrolyte company was not remotely on our, on our radar. And then as we started looking at how, critical this electrolyte story is, uh, particularly because we chose that no sugar route within this story. We're really one, one of our, you know, we have this mission of like health through hydration and the hydration piece is the sodium, potassium, magnesium, all that. But the health piece, 
arguably maybe one of the greatest challenges to health is this ubiquitous sugar and processed food story. So, it, you know, we were able to get in and really champion that angle. Um, but it was, uh, God, your question is far better than what my answer is panning out to be here. But, um, <laughs> In a way, we felt like even if that. not true, but I appreciate it. <laughs> if um, we felt strongly that even if a bunch of competitive brands popped up, that we could outcompete them on the value that we provide. We create a huge amount of material for the community. We're very, very accessible in answering questions. We have great customer service. You know, like we we felt like we could win in other areas. We didn't want to get in this like commoditization of just the product. You know, it's like it's salt at the end of the day. We we still offer the the free download. You know, this is somebody will say this stuff looks kind of expensive. We're like, okay, yeah, it is. Here's this freebie. You can do it for pennies per serving if you want to do that. You know, and mm -hmm. and uh uh we just really wanted to help folks, you know, and we felt like if we help folks and and getting this message out of effective hydration, uh, putting a very critical eye to the amount and types of sugar that people are consuming. That really is where our passion is. And again, I don't know this, that we may look back 10 years from now, like, Oh, we should have played it a little closer to the chest or, you know, something like that. But it, it, uh, it feels right. And we don't need to tell kind of like outlandish stories of, Oh, well, the particular salt we use has this proprietary mineral mix and it comes from this uh hidden valley in the himalayas and you know nobody else has access to it it's like no it's just sodium chloride but there's no the only magic to to element is it's got a great formula and they taste really really good like that that's that it, and it's convenient you know there's maybe three things mm. it's convenient tastes good and we feel like we're very on point with it addressing electrolyte needs for folks so when you don't have to tell a lot of weird stories around that, then we can just focus on like, we have a lot of people who do fasting in our community. Okay. Well, what are the challenges of fasting? And let's tackle that from a legit science and clinical based perspective, you know, and, and, mm -hmm. and then we don't need any smoke and mirrors. We just teach people, okay, here are the upsides of fasting. Here are the challenges of fasting. Maybe you're not a good, good fit for it because you're uh uh, multi-sport, you know, uh, you're a high school student, multi-sport, you shouldn't do intermittent fasting. You should uh, eat high quality food, but you should eat every bit of it that, that's not nailed down, you know, because you're, you're growing and the, uh, the work output, if you've got a 17 year old son, you know, the, the drill on that. So, um, mm -hmm. it really freed us in a lot of ways when we didn't have to get into this thing of like, oh, we've got this unique view of, of anything. It's like, no, here's a formula and everybody should, if you do an electrolyte by God, at least do something like this because it, you know, doing what Gatorade is doing is a terrible idea. Um, and, and, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, no, I, I feel that, you know, simple, transparent, you know, it works, you know, mm-hmm. Qual quality ingredients, the simplicity, the transparency, the honesty, and it say, okay, you know, here is here's a product that that is substantial. Um, yes, we can bring some no pun intended elements of style to it, you know, and you've right. done a great job. And now I want to I want to ask you, even out, outside of of element, you've been involved in a number of projects again, commercially also in putting out books as an author, building a, a 
you know, a global personal brand, being involved in other consumer products, goods, and direct-to-consumer type products. How do you put your teams together? You know, what do you look for? The first time we connected, uh, it was, I think, Jeff to, to me, to you or something on there. Yep. And the email that came back, and I pay attention to these things, there were six people on the email. Right. And it was, you know, this person's going to send you Element. This person's going to get me booked on the podcast. This person's going to do... And by the way, every one of them did exactly what they what was said there. Hmm? Right. That's how I have my my cup. That's how my, my cupboard is filled with Elements <laughs> product right now. Right. That's how I'm talking to you. Uh, and it's one thing to have the ideas. You know, it's one of... It's another thing to be able to to execute them and put the right people together, you know, and build that kind of team. How do you do it? I, I don't, and this is the reason why it works. <laughs> um, I, I, I am not that guy. Uh, our CEO James Murphy he um, he reached out to me. Gosh, maybe five years ago. So I was one of the early investors in Thrive Market. And and that was a great relationship in that um, I believed in what they were doing. The the uh, the folks that they were focusing on were right in the bullseye of the people that I had built some trust and credibility with. And and so I marketed you know, you know it was kind of a Amazon alternative and but really with some some very mission driven stuff and and that went really well. And I met James through all that. And what James had had done over time, he has a, a business called Proton Enterprises. And they find, I guess, for lack of a better term, like influencers in this kind of health and wellness space. And it, it, it's uh, he, he works extensively with Dr. David Perlmutter, who's famous for like grain brain mm-hmm. and, and, you know, uh, a really an amazing guy. But what they do is they look at opportunities for spinning up these consumer product good things. You know, uh, uh, Dr. Perlmutter is, has done a, a number of things. Like he ended up developing a, a whole product line for Garden of Life. And then he had this collaborative deal with them. And it, it, it's gone amazingly well, both for Dr. Perlmutter and for Garden of Life. Like it was a great fit. And James is able to put these teams together. Um, James is one of the most skilled and interesting people that I've ever met in that he has amazing attention to detail on the spreadsheets and planning and all that stuff, but he has more emotional intelligence and ability to just, so he's like a a Harvard or a Yale MBA and he's got accolades coming and going very successful exits in the investments he's made. You would never know that talking to him because all he does is ask people questions and they're, they're insightful, interested questions. You know, who are you? What are you about? And so he's a, He's a, a question guy, not necessarily an answer guy. If you ask him a question, he'll give you a great answer because he, he's very thoughtful. But um, he just approaches stuff with no ego other than we're going to do, we're going to die doing the best job we can. Like that, that's it. You know, we're going to be successful doing the best job we can. And he attracts people kind of like the Pied Piper. Um, in the beginning of Element, we attracted people that we had no business securing because we couldn't pay them what they deserved and, and all that. But they, they met James, they, they got a, a sniff of this kind of mission driven company. They're like, dude, I, I want to do this, you know? And, uh, 
that's where that success has come from. And what's been cool, I, I didn't realize this because I have a science background. And so I would have never in my life called myself an artist, but I really am like, I'm good at reading papers and, and I'll read some stuff in economics and biochemistry. And then I'm able to see some commonality and synthesize that. And that is my art. And so in, in element now, I'm not intimately involved in like the operations. I, I, I have input in all that stuff. I'm involved on all the calls and everything, but I am a minor player in that. What I do is coming on podcasts with folks like you, who are, who you have your own community of people who know you and trust you and everything. And then I can talk to things ranging from business to, to health and wellness and whatnot. And so it's allowed me for the, honestly, the first time in my career to focus exclusively on the thing that I am most well-suited to do. Historically, when it's been my wife and I running things, like we have to wear a bunch of different hats and, and that, that administration and management of people and everything, we're not that good at that. We're not great bosses. We're not, we're not good at doing quarterly reviews and looking down the road and all that type of stuff. And that is where James built that, that team. And, um, and he's just one of the best people I've ever seen at doing that. And also he's just a kind, wonderful, um, I don't want to say ethics, but, but like mission driven person and the mission is mm -hmm. do an amazing job and be very focused on the process. And, and that is why that if it was just up to me, I'd be selling this out of the trunk of my car and it, it would go nowhere, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. It would probably go very well too. Uh, just maybe not to scale, you know, exactly the way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know what, what's, what's great also about this one, you know, acknowledging gratitude, sharing credit, saying, okay, do I do this? No, I don't do this. This is actually who does this. You know, but also you you meant 49, again, 48, learning about yourself, what interests you, being able to say, okay, I am more of an artist than this, or I can refer to myself that way now. Uh, I think a lot of guys at at our stage were quite, you know, they question a lot of things. Mm -hmm. What path they're on? Is this going to be it? And that's everything with career, job, you know, who they are, identity. Um, I'd love to get your take on kind of, you know, midlife and kind of evaluation of saying, this is the role I want within this kind of company and I'm secure enough to take it. How does, how do finances play a factor, you know, in, in mm -hmm. that as well? Do I stay at the job? Do I leave the job? Do I bring in other hobbies, you know, because I right. can't necessarily leave the job. I don't, we could sit here and easily say, quit your job, follow your passion. If you even right. know what your passion is, but your passion is not paying your mortgage either. Right. You know? Or do you stay and do you do other things with your passion? Like I said, maybe you make an investment in something that you're passionate right. about. I just love to get, you know, just a few minutes, like your view on, on that as a guy who's, who's 49 next year will be a pivotal birthday. You know, I'm right. approaching it also. And we right. just question a lot of shit, you know, right? <laughs> because you said James yeah. does, I do this because if I had any answers, I wouldn't have to ask so many questions. Right. Mm. Right. I, again, going to be a way better question than my answer is going to be on this, but, um, so I, I did, my wife and I co-founded the first and fourth uh, CrossFit affiliate gyms and, and loved CrossFit very, very, it, it, it changed the world. We saw a lot of people who loved CrossFit, who opened gyms, who abandoned peripheral careers 
and it ended up being a disaster. And there's a host of reasons why, like, I think CrossFit kind of strip mined the market. They had a lot of opportunities to create more quality control and develop business systems within the gyms, which they never did, which was problematic. But, um, a lot of these people would have been really well served keeping their job as a cop or a firefighter or a doctor or a pharmacist and doing a garage gym. And like two or three days a week, they have some people over to do CrossFit together and they have that community and they weren't on the hook for a $10,000 a month, you know, lease for a space and then employees and the employees, you spend three years developing them and training them up. And then they peel out and go open a gym uh, across the shopping center from you and stuff like that, you know? So it's funny. I had a conversation with my daughter about this the other day about some people figure out a path where like they really do the thing that they really love. Um, I think like woodworkers and and stuff like that are, you know, oftentimes a, a good example, but oftentimes also like I know a couple of people that are, are cops and firefighters that they do a ton of work woodworking on the side and they, they sell it and they do some stuff, but you know, for them, they're like, I would probably start to hate it if it was the thing I had to do to, to pay the bills, you know, and there's some, and I looked askance at people. I remember I was a pharmacy tech in undergrad and the pharmacists I worked with, they liked their job, but it wasn't like the, you know, the most motivating thing. And they talked about like fishing or pottery or the things that they were into. And like they, it seemed like they couldn't wait to be done with the job to go do this other thing. But they also had tons of resources to do it. They were going to retire early. Um, they, you know, I mean, there was this stability. I, I think that, uh, understanding one's risk tolerance is a big one. Like both my wife and I have a similar risk tolerance. We're willing to take a, a fair amount of risk, but we're, we're also not, not willing to, to go too crazy on that. Uh, we also don't have a really lavish lifestyle. Like I have a 2014 Subaru Outback and, and, you know, I bought it used for cash and that's it. And we have a nice house, but a, a modest house. And so we also stay well within our means so that if we ever decide, well, we don't want to work as much, like we we've got that as a fallback. So I think that there's a, a lot of different things that, that go into that. But I also, you know, I took all social media off of my phone, maybe about a year and a half ago. And I remember I would get like a daily update of how much time I was spending on my phone. And once I took social media off my phone, my phone is an incredibly uninteresting device without that. Like I found that I would go look at the weather just out of that habit of like, oh, I've got to, you know, crack out on my phone. And where yeah. I was spending two and a half to three hours a day farting around on my phone, it's like 45 minutes a day now. You know, if I get a long phone call or something, it's more, but I barely am on my phone. And I was like, it was like having a vacation because I had all this extra time to do other things. And I think that that's something too, where even if somebody works a, a regular full-time job and they have kids and all that, like where you allocate your time elsewhere, there's two or three or four hours a day to devote to music or studying a language or, you, you know, doing some woodwork or something like that. But you have to kind of decouple from these, these cocaine-esque, you know, offerings like social media that spin that dopamine receptor and, you know, you get embroiled in like sociopolitical debates and stuff like that. And it, it it's not good for you. It's not really good for the world. And there's this real missed opportunity. So I, I don't know if I fully answered that question, but I think when people are 
wondering about like a career change or whatnot, like I would, I would think long and hard about that financial security piece because it, at a minimum, if you have an idea about doing something else, you can start it really small scale. So like a, a friend of mine, uh, John Boone, who's a black belt at, at, in jujitsu here, he and I are talking about starting a cider company at some point, but we're going to start it in my kitchen, small scale, and then it might get a, a, a garage and then it might get a little more, but I'm not going to just go like dump a massive amount of resources into launching a brand and all this stuff. But it, it, I'm interested in doing something where I work a little more with my hands and I apply some of my chemistry background to, to something. I'm like, oh, cider's mm-hmm. cool. Like I dig cider, like that whole fermentation deal and like harvesting some of the local fruit and, and doing that. But I'm not going to launch it you know, as this like mega thing right out of the gate, we'll give it a couple of years of just fiddly farting around. And then maybe we release it locally at some, some bars and restaurants and in some of the local liquor stores and stuff. And then if that starts catching hold, maybe we do something more with it, or maybe it's just a local brand that you got to come to Kalispell to get it, you know? So there's, there's ways of doing that where if we just don't lose our shirts on it, that seems pretty good. And if we can make a little bit extra beyond that, that also seems good. It, it's such a respe- refreshing perspective because we seem to be in this, everything has to be more impressive you know? or we have to jump the process of it. Again, the slow, right. steady, consistent process. And we have to immediately go from being fat to fit. We've got to right. go immediately from this career or this unsatisfying place to, oh, I have to go now and follow my passion and only, you know, promote and talk about that. Look how great I am. I made this this 180. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, same thing with nutrition. Same thing could be even with sodium. Hey, I'm, you know, I'm dehydrated. Now I'm so hydrated. It's ridiculous. You know, in right. That. Right. So we've lost this perspective of. What can I do, as you said, to take back maybe an hour a day or two hours a day? Where do I apply that time? Maybe the job isn't really that bad, but the fact that I'm spending 18 hours a day here is is what's wrong and I don't need to. And maybe we've learned that over the last two years or you've stopped commuting an hour plus each way. Are you walking? Are Are you doing? So I think it's such a great, it's a great perspective. And again, comes from a place of confidence, which is, I don't have to be showing this off. I don't even have social media on my phone and make it look like my, you know, pet project or new business is blowing, you know, goods out of the door. We can't keep it in stock. The comparison is, I think is a, is a problem, particularly for men, the keeping up with the Joneses, the comparison, um, the stress that we put on ourselves overall. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have techniques that you utilize, um, yourself or even within the family to manage stress or anxiety? Um, do you have, do you, do you deal with that well? Or is that something, Hey, I've been fortunate, you know, I, I stay pretty relaxed, you know, or, you know, I'm the seal who can stay underwater and my heart rate, you know, just kind of hangs out where it's supposed to be. No, or, I am not that person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I'm a basket case on that. And, uh, three years ago, my wife, uh, shared with me this, uh, uh, book, um, stress less accomplish more by Emily Fletcher. It's a meditation book. And, um, I, I had checked out meditation multiple times and it never really clicked for me. I really like, um, Sam Harris, a, a great guy, good, good stuff. Never really clicked for me when, when, uh, 
um, I, I tinkered with it. And I don't know if it was just like the right place, the right time, but whatever the case was, I started doing a twice a day meditation practice, um, first thing in the morning and then usually mid afternoon. And that was, it changed everything. Like I was much more mellow. What it, what it gave me was a buffer between events happening and my response to it where normally I would get like spun up and irritated and maybe snappy with kids, snappy with my wife. It just kind of took me out of that warp drive where it's like, okay, I can choose how I'm going to respond to this. And really quickly, we started sharing this with our kids where we'll have them sit, put their hands on their belly, do some belly breathing. Um, we'll invite them to do sit down and do meditation with us. And probably 50% of the time they do, 50% of the time they, they take a pass on it. But like if they're really getting upset, that is a, a great method for, for kind of like intervening in that. And that this is something too, that I didn't understand earlier on. And God, I wish I could have understood this at like 12 years old or something, but, um, being process driven, like really just focusing on what it is I'm doing and trying to do the best job I can, instead of looking down the road and like, I wonder what people are going to think of this. I wonder how I'll look. And, you know, I hope this looks cool and everything. Instead of doing that, just getting in and like, I'm going to do the best job I can on this. And it doesn't really matter how long it takes. And I, I'm just going to like do this. That removes all this stress too, because you, you know, and this gets a little metaphysical, but like that stress comes about when we're ruminating either on the past or the future, you know, we're thinking about something we screwed up or we're, we're looking ahead, wondering how people are going to perceive something or like the, the potential financial outcome or whatever. But if you're just really focused in the moment on the process, you, you can't be stressed. And this is actually where like that flow state occurs and like real joy happens. And when you look at some people have gone through horrific things like uh, Victor Frankl's man's search for meaning and talking about surviving Auschwitz, like gratitude, being grateful for whatever it was he had, you know, they were given like a, a bread ration each day and he would take half of his bread ration and give it to somebody else. And he did that because that was literally the only thing that he had agency on uh, with his life. He had control over what he did with his bread and he chose to give that to somebody and it gave him this immediate sense of satisfaction and gratitude and, and joy and then whatever it was he was doing, whether it was digging a trench or whatever, he just applied himself, like enjoying every moment. It's so hard to do. Like I say this and like, you, you know, it's so challenging to do with things that we're not good at or, you know, not really enjoying or it's an uncomfortable environment. But um, to the degree that people can do that, I think it's really incredible. And I, I got to sing some praises. My My eldest daughter, she's been getting in and learning how to do some some craft work where she she gets these model horses. And she wants to make tack for these horses, like the harnesses and leads and all this stuff. So she's been checking out some, some stuff online. They get a little bit of access online, mainly in like how to do thing type type stuff. And there's a couple of folks online that that make tack for these model horses. So we went to Michael's, like the the you know, arts and crafts store, and we mm -hmm. bought some ribbon and we bought some some rings and different stuff. We had a glue gun. Nick uh, Zoe's used the glue gun a little bit. But she's been getting in and starting to make some of this tack and it's really hard. Like it's very fine motor skill and she's got this hot glue gun and I hear her like scream and, and I go in there and like she burned her finger and the hot glue got stuck on the, the halter she was making. And then the halter got flung across the room because the hot glue and, you, you know, it's a disaster. And I was like, what do you need to do to get on top of this? And she's like, I'm going to go breathe. 
and I'll, I'll come back. And, um, that kid has really done amazing work at just being very process oriented. And when she gets frustrated, she's like, I'm going to step away. Like she'll be at the verge of crying. I'm like, you're okay, but let's figure out a way of dealing with this, you know? And what's cool is she loves this shit so much that she's willing to just get all fucking like spun up and like upset. Mm. But then when she reaches, so you want that passion, but you don't want that passion to like cripple you, you know, wh- which is what it would do in the past. She gets so upset and she'd collapse in a heap and I'm just giving up. And it's like, no, you're not going to give up, but we're going to, we're going to back things off a little bit and deescalate. And that kid, man, she kept at it and she kept at it and she came in and she showed me and she, I, I should go grab it, but this t- itty bitty little horse halter and dude, it is amazing. And I'm like, how many burns do you have on your fingers? And she held up and like, dude, she, she looks like she's been tortured, you know, <laughs> like it, I, I can't think of anything else that this kid would do and subject herself to like this many burns, but she loves making this stuff and she loves horses. And like, she's so invested in this process. She like burned the shit out of her fingers and she's really frustrated, but she also started learning and she's nine years old, you know, and she's learning how to like regulate and dial things back, but then not give up the passion and get back in. And I'm like, oh my God, I could have really been something if I knew that at nine years old, you know? So that's something like my nine-year-old daughter taught me, you you know, some, I've been sharing that with her, but seeing it in action, it was like, yeah, this really works. Like this really matters being process oriented. And then using this breathing is, is, it's the closest thing to magic that I think exists in the, the known universe, if I'm honest. It's it's really moving. And I think, you know, what's great is one, seeing her grasp it, you know, and utilize it. it's got to be incredibly gratifying. Um, and at the same time, seeing it, appreciating it and implementing it into your own life, because we're not done yet either. Well, right, like, right. There not are by still a mile. Skills. <laughs> Not by my, right. There are still still skills, coping mechanisms, ways to look at you know look at our kids or look at anybody around us and say, okay, that's a different way of handling it. You know, right? Or they listen. I did that. If I knew that at nine, terrific. But there's no difference between nine and forty nine in terms of embracing our curiosity, being able to implement things and and go forward. Um, and I love this, all of it. Uh, just thank you for giving giving us kind of a, a glimpse and some insight into the way that you think, the way that you live, the way that you operate. I've got to have a conversation later this afternoon with a young man on our basketball team about a lot of these, about de-escalating, about emotion, mm-hmm. about stepping mm-hmm. back you know, and breathing, all the passion, all the talent. Mm-hmm. But how do you corral it? Mm-hmm. How do you right. use it in a positive way to be a good contributor, you know, a good teammate? You hear these stories and go, okay, we're all experiencing these things, whether you're making models and burning your hands and you're owning right. every one of those burns for right. progress, you know, or you know, we lost by two in overtime, you know, the other day. We gotta right. we gotta work on that. You <laughs> know, we gotta work on the why and the how, you know, behind these right. things. That's Rob, awesome. how do people find you? Um where where do they where do they go to get in contact with you? Um, listen, you've got podcasts, you've got books. Um, let, let's make sure we get people where they need to go to hear more from Rob Wolf. Yeah, uh, robwolf.com is where most things kind of intersect. Uh, we have the Healthy Rebellion, which is the community that that we have online. 
We have a podcast by the same name, the Healthy Rebellion Radio, and that's where my wife and I tackle a weekly Q&A podcast where people write in questions and we do our best job to to hash our way through answering them. I have social media accounts, but I, I'm not really on there. I, I write stuff up, send it to my assistant, and she posts it for me. And uh, someday I may circle back to social media, but for right now, I'm, I'm mainly broadcast only. But Oh, and over at uh, Drink Element, uh, drinkelement.com, uh, I do a lot of writing for them, and we, we generate a lot of material in this kind of health and wellness space. Rob, thank you so much. This was a pleasure and a privilege, as I said, uh, a fan of yours for a long time, way back in the beginning of the CrossFit days, um, through the books and everything. Uh, it, it's just a privilege to come full circle, to be involved in anything that you're involved in and to have this conversation with you somewhat face-to-face, being able to see you across there. I look forward to seeing you in person. And thank you for being a part of the Midwife Mail podcast today. It means a lot. Huge honor to be here. Thank you. Guys, if you like what you hear, and I know you like this one, absolutely an an instant classic right here with Rob Wolf, please give us that five-star rating. Please leave us a nice review. Head over to midlifemail.com. You can reach me there. Download the new guides to maximizing middle age and taking back some of those things that we have lost. Greg Scheinman here. You know you can find me on Instagram, uh, and you can email me directly greg and midlifemail.com until next week thank you so much rob wolf appreciate you brother thank you you